What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Mile Higher Podcast, episode 240. And today we are covering a highly requested topic and has been for quite some time. We are finally going to be talking about the Rust shooting incident and the tragic death of cinematographer Helena Hutchins. A lot of new information has come out recently, and it's also been in the news because there are charges being filed at this point. So we're going to be going over all of it today, at least what we know so far. Ever since this happened, I've been just wondering, you know, I've had so many questions about how this happened. And, you know, initially it was like most of what we were hearing was from Alec Baldwin. Um, at least that's what I was hearing. And, you know, it's mm-hmm. like I never pressed the trigger. The gun just went off. And I'm just like, how does that happen? And so today we're going to be doing a really deep dive on not only the incident, but how this may have happened. And it's not, you know, shooting deaths or or prop, you know, props that malfunction and, and things happen on, on movie sets actually more often than you would think. There's actually a report that came out from the Associated Press that said between 1990 and 2016, at least 43 people have died on movie sets in the U.S. and more than 150 have been left with life-altering injuries. Obviously, what happens absolutely tragic. There's always that risk when shooting any of these types of movies. So safety is the number one priority should um, be. or should be mm-hmm. uh, for production and crews and things like that. And so it's 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 really crazy to think that even in this day and age, we're still still dealing with the, this tragic situation, you know, unraveling yeah. and trying to understand what happened. So we're going to take a look at sort of all the facets of this of this investigation and try to really hopefully paint a, a clear picture of, you know, what might have actually went wrong. You said 43 since 1990. Mm-hmm. That is unbelievable and unexcusable. This is so avoidable. I and don't get how we haven't really cleaned up the way that, you know, well, firearms think, are used. Well, I well, don't think it's just It's firearms. not just firearms. So that's was, also like swords and knives. Oh, and so okay. pro- just and any vehicles, sort of prop vehicle. Yeah, things like that. So just God. deaths overall. But I think it comes down to at the helm of these dangerous things that they have to use and explosive charges and things like that, there's a human at the helm of it. And obviously mm-hmm. as a human, there's always a room for error. So, true. you know, in this particular case, I think we're really trying to figure out, was this just an, a tragic accident through and through, or was there something more malicious that occurred here? And, and is there, and clearly based on the investigation and what the district attorney saying and all the investigative authorities are saying is that they, think there's potentially foul play involved just because you know we don't really understand how this live round made it onto the set of this movie yeah. when it should have never been there in the first place and then mm-hmm. what happened after how the the live round get to the set and then how to get into the gun that Alec Baldwin ultimately fired and mm-hmm. killing Helena so yeah this is a just absolutely tragic case um heartbreaking i just feel for her family and her uh, husband and her son because mm-hmm. it's just like it's like the last thing you think would happen yeah um and when, when you're working on a movie i'm sure you you just assume that you know everything is safe and the mm-hmm. correct people are handling the more dangerous parts of of the job but something went really really wrong here on the rust uh, on the rust set so but with that being said this episode of the podcast is brought to you by hellofresh dipsy and simply safe also, make sure you check out mileharmers.com uh, whenever you get a chance. There are still some items up there. We're working on a new collection actually right now. So there'll be some new stuff going up hopefully here in the next couple of months. 
But let's go ahead and just get right into this. We've got a lot of ground to cover mm -hmm. today, beginning by really trying to paint the picture of, you know, Rust, what was this project, and what was, you know, how did this all unfold? So Rust was set to be a low-budget, independent Western film set in 1880s Kansas, starring Alec Baldwin. And the film focused on the fictional story of a 13-year-old boy who accidentally killed a local rancher. After the boy is sentenced to hang, he goes on the run with his outlaw grandfather, Harland Rust, who is played by Alec. And this film was really a passion project for Alec Baldwin. He and director Joel Souza created the story, and Alec would not only serve as the lead actor, but also one of the film's six named producers. Here's a clip of Alec Baldwin describing what his responsibilities were as a producer. I am a purely creative producer. My authorities as a producer are casting and script, which are actually married to the role of being a lead actor in a film. So you're not the kind of producer who's looking at the line item of each budget? No, 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 no. There, there, there are basically two types of producers who are, who are really in charge of production. People that raise the money and the people who spend the money. My consultations or approvals were completely about casting and about the script. I don't hire anybody in the crew. I don't Not even me. the cinematographer, no one? No, no, but w w he will apprise me of what he's doing. And he'll say to me, I got Helena Hutchins to be the DP. I said, oh, how do you feel about that? Are you excited? I'm very excited. She's wonderful. And to clear up some misconceptions, many producers are only tied to a film financially, meaning they just put up the money to fund it, and they never even go to the set or do anything like that. It's common to put famous people as producers on movies for marketing purposes, because people will obviously be more interested in seeing that film if there is a big name attached. So basically, they're investments. For example, Drake and Future are two of the many producers of Euphoria, but they really just financially supported the show. Zendaya and Hunter Schaefer are also producers, but I highly doubt they have as much involvement in the crew staffing and decisions around stuff like that. So the director of Rust was 48-year-old Joel Souza. And he and Alec had previously worked together on Joel's film, Crown Vic. Joel wrote the screenplay and would be directing the film. The assistant director, or as they call it, AD, was David Dave Halls, who's been working in the industry since 1996. However, Dave had a bad track record with gun safety and just safety in general. So talking about working with Dave, an assistant camera operator said, quote, a lot of his mentality was just get the shot and get the shot on time. He seemed willing to cut whatever corners were necessary to make that happen. He was actually fired from the movie Freedom's Path after multiple injuries and an unplanned discharge of a gun. In one instance, a 74-year-old actress was supposed to fall to her knees after finding out about the death of another character. An assistant camera operator asked him if they should get a crash pad for safety, but Dave said it was fine to use a furniture pad instead. So then when the actress fell, she fully fell over and hurt herself. In another incident, a crew member fell down during a shot and couldn't get back up. The assistant camera operator had to yell cut himself while a different crew member helped the person up. But the incident that got him fired was the unplanned discharge. And it was his responsibility to make sure the guns were totally empty when filming close up scenes. But when they were filming one of those scenes, the gun had actually been filled with enough gunpowder to cause a blast. So the gun went off right in the boom operator's face. And luckily in this situation, no one was injured, but the boom operator ran off set. This is just one of the many other complaints that people working with Dave had had about him being very lax about safety. So 42-year-old 
Helena Hutchins, was hired by Joel as the cinematographer. Helena was born in Ukraine and graduated from Kiev National University with a degree in international journalism. She started working in the industry as an investigative journalist for British documentaries in Eastern Europe. In 2015, she graduated from the American Film Institute Conservatory. From there, Helena's list of credits started to grow, and she was named as a rising star by American Cinematographer in 2019. And this was her first time working with Alec Baldwin, and everyone working on Rust absolutely loved her. She was very dedicated, focused, and an upbeat person with a clear vision. She also was a loving mother to a nine-year-old boy named Andros and a wife to her husband, Matthew Hutchins. So obviously, since we're talking about the shooting incident that occurred, we can't not talk about the head armorer for the movie, which was 24-year-old Hannah Gutierrez-Reed. And she had actually started working on the set on September 28, 2021. She was also working, though, as the assistant prop master, which added a decent amount of responsibilities on top of her main job as armorer. Rust was also her second film that she'd worked on as head armorer, and she was considered by many to be inexperienced. Hannah is actually the daughter of legendary Hollywood stuntman and armorer named Thel Reed. She grew up around guns, and she was trained in armory by her father, so she was kind of a Nepo baby with a not-so-great track record. The first movie she worked on as head armorer was the Western film The Old Way, starring Nicolas Cage. After filming rap, she told a podcast, quote, You know, I was really nervous at first, and I almost didn't take the job because I wasn't sure I was ready, but doing it, it went really smoothly. But in reality, it really didn't go all that smoothly. Gun safety became such an issue that Nicolas Cage actually walked off set at one point. After the second time Hannah fired a gun near the cast and crew without warning, he yelled at her and stormed off the set. During filming, crew members saw Hannah reloading a prop gun on the ground where there were pebbles in the dirt. Then, without checking the gun, she handed over to an 11-year-old child actress. The crew had to step in and make her check the barrel for any obstructions, which she could have obviously created a very dangerous situation. I mean... I've never heard of somebody who has experience with guns loading your gun on the ground around dirt and like pebbles and rocks. That is just an absolute no-no. It's stupid. It's the best way to ruin your gun and make it malfunction. So on August 15th, 2021, while Hannah was working on The Old Way, she texted a weapon supplier named Seth Kenny about live rounds. And Seth was providing her with some of the ammo for the film. And she asked him if she could, quote, shoot hot rounds out of a vintage prop rifle. Seth responded and said, WTF is a hot round. And she wrote back saying, like a pretty big load of actual ammunition. And Seth warned her to never shoot live ammo out of prop guns, and she should only use blanks. He wrote, it's a serious mistake, always ends in tears. And in response, she texted back, good to know, I'm still gonna shoot mine though. So that tells you a lot about her right away. But anyway, Hannah was very excited to get this job working on Rust. She couldn't believe her luck. Two days after she was offered the job, she wrote on Facebook, How fucked up is it that life's been so good lately, I can't help but feel like I'm about to fall from grace. Ooh, it's kind of wild. Yeah, that is very eerie. So Seth Kenny, the weapons expert, would provide the guns and some of the ammunition for the film through his company. And he'd actually been the one to recommend Hannah for the job working on Rust. And he'd also serve as the armor mentor, basically giving guidance to Hannah and the movie's prop master. So the prop master was also 24 years old and was pretty green when it comes to the movie industry. Her name was Sarah Zachary, and her job was to bring in any and all props for the movie. 
So this meant getting the guns, but it was the armorer's job to work with the guns. So she would assist the armorer, but the armorer would be the one loading the guns and giving them to the actors. Both Sarah and Hannah were hired after many other more experienced candidates turned down the job. Many of these candidates had been unavailable due to their schedules, but some of them turned down the job because they were worried about safety. The fact that production wanted the armorer to work as a props assistant was also an issue. It seemed like they were scrambling to hire people. Sarah was hired less than two weeks before filming began on the 6th, and Hannah was hired less than a week before filming was set to begin. That's so wild. For such a big job, yeah. it has a lot of responsibility and safety requirements to get two green individuals mm-hmm. based on recommendations. I guess they really trusted these recommendations, but just, I mean, it's pretty obvious they don't have the experience that you would like for this type of 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 set. So filming for the movie would take place at Bonanza Creek Ranch, a western-style movie set about 10 miles southwest of Santa Fe, New Mexico. This spot had been used in dozens of western movies, and filming was set to go from October to early November. Again, this was a film with a budget of only $7 million, so many people in the crew had to double up on roles as a cost-cutting measure. Which, by the way, if you're not familiar with how much typical movies used for budgets because i wasn't really i looked it up this is like way under the average mm-hmm. budget is 50 to 100 million um so yeah 7 million much lower for reference i pulled josh and kendall's favorite movies interstellar had a budget of 165 million and knocked up kendall's favorite mm-hmm. had a budget of 25 and just for reference like you know avatar 2 that just came out was 250 so they were obviously above but Seven million. That's crazy. That knocked up was twenty five million. That's pretty low budget. For, yeah, uh, but I mean, they didn't have any like stunts. And yeah, crazy and this was when all those got all the actors in there. Right. Seth Rogen and everything were early Hill, on in their career. Yeah, uh, Jason Segel, Catherine Heigl. Yeah, they were star studded yeah, cast. That probably way cheaper way to do it back then than it would be today. But yeah, that's really wild to think that that movie especially back then, yeah. was $25 million, I'm but Rust to... was 7 I mean, that's a tiny yeah. budget. I'm trying to think of another movie that would be like low budget like this, um, just for a comparison that people might know. Napoleon Dynamites was 400000 supposedly. Oh, well. <laughs> Makes sense, honestly. <laughs> God, but that film is iconic. They did an amazing job for such a low budget on that one. Yeah, so for example, like Little Miss Sunshine was $8 million. Hmm. Annabelle was made on a 6.5 million budget. Wow. That's interesting. That is. And it went on to make 306.5 million worldwide. Is it cuz that's a, so Damn. that's the thing with these films, you produce it at such a low cost that the hope is that it becomes a blockbuster hit and then you make an exorbitant amount of profit on these and and we'll talk about more of who's actually financing these types of films because mm-hmm. there's like an investment opportunity clearly mm-hmm. to, you know, make an investment for 7 million and then it turns into 300 million. I mean, that's a that's a nice return. My big fat uh Greek wedding was 5 million budget. Juno was between uh 6 and a half and 7 and a half. Hmm. But none of those movies have a lot of like special effects or action scenes or props. Annabelle. Or I guess yeah. Saw the the original Saw movie Ooh, hate those. um has a ton of effects was a 1.2 million budget. Damn. When was that made? What year? 2004, yeah. yeah. It's interesting that a lot of horror movies are... So like Blair Witch Project's another one that was really, really like $60,000 to make that movie. But I mean, that's like footage off of like a, a old camcorder basically. But yeah. you really don't need huge budgets all the time to 
especially if you're just shooting in one location too, mm-hmm. like if you're just shooting in one area that saves you a ton of money versus going on to all these different locations. The budget has to get um, increased quite a bit, but 7 million I think is like kind of middle of the road for a film like this. Definitely. Especially this, you know, was a lot more recent than all the ones we just named are fairly older. Everything about scheduling felt rushed for budget reasons when it comes to rust. The longer it takes to film something, the more money it costs. So production had an interest in keeping everything moving quickly to save money. But Western films often tend to be very gun heavy, obviously. So it's especially important that production doesn't cut corners with the budget when it comes to armory. It's also just as important to ensure everyone is 100% safe with any guns in general on a film set in any way. And this is never an area where you should cheap out in any case. And you could see these cost-cutting issues arise from the beginning. During pre-production, when crew members constructed the set, there was no on-site medic, which is wild. This is supposed to be an industry standard. So when a crew member's hand was accidentally stabbed with a drill bit, he had to take care of the injury himself, which is just wild. There was also no safety bulletin sent out with daily call sheets, which is also industry standard. However, a spokesperson for the producers said that there were notations on the call sheets that referenced the guns that would be used that day. So now obviously guns are a huge part of this this story. So we're going to have a little bit of a gun lesson here. And from my experience with guns, and I took a hunter safety course when I was like 13 or 12 or something like that. And number one thing that they teach you because I first start my my experience with guns early on was like BB guns. I started I, my first gun was like a BB gun, which just shoots little BB pellets. You know, doesn't sound that dangerous, but you, I mean, it can yeah. be dangerous if you aim it at a person. Yeah. And so, number one safety rule is you never aim any sort of gun, fake, real, whatever, at at something you're not ready to kill, because it doesn't matter what type of gun it is. Every single type of gun has the ability to injure somebody or potentially kill them. So you always, always keep the barrel of the gun pointed down when you're not shooting it or downrange away from people. You never walk around waving it around like that. And you never put your finger on the trigger until you're ready to pull the trigger at whatever your target is. So you don't just let your finger hang out on there. It should be outside of the of the trigger at all times. And there's no such thing as an unloaded gun. You have to treat every gun like it's loaded. It's amazing how often these basic safety rules just don't get followed and accidents happen. I mean, there's a lot of gun deaths are accidental gun deaths where people don't know that the gun's loaded or they assume it's not loaded and then they do something stupid with it and then the gun goes off and and guns go off and it doesn't always have to have a, a trigger pull for it to go off. So let's talk about the anatomy of a live round here. So at the top, there is the projectile or the bullet. People commonly refer to the whole cartridge around as the bullet, but the bullet is actually the object at the top of the round that's fired out of the gun, which is that metal casing that holds all the parts of the round together. It's ejected after the rounds are fired, and the propellant, which is usually gunpowder, explodes when it's ignited or the gun is fired. This force is what propels the bullet out of the gun. The casing's rim provides the gun's extractor with the grip to hold the casing and remove it from the chamber after it's fired. And finally, there's the gun's primer. When this metal primer is struck, it ignites the propellant, causing the explosion that pushes the bullet out. So obviously, live rounds 
are never supposed to be used in filmmaking. It's obviously way too dangerous to use them. I mean, they don't even use that in oftentimes police training when you're there. They use uh, dummy rounds and things like that too, because there's just way too many possibilities where things can go wrong and people can get hurt or killed. But filmmakers still use prop guns to make the film look more realistic. So instead of live bullets, they use dummies or blanks or dum-dums. They're, there's a lot of names for them. Dummy rounds have no primer and no propellant, so they are inert. The projectile attached to the casing is just for show. Basically, the dummies are used to look like real rounds, but they don't fire when the trigger is pulled. There are multiple possible ways to tell if a round is a dummy. The casing is usually marked with a small hole or indentation, or sometimes the casing is crimped. The primer may be punched or coated a different color, and oftentimes there are BBs inside the dummy rounds to show that there's no propellant inside. So when you shake the rounds, it rattles because the little BB's rattling around in there. Now, blank rounds are different from dummy rounds. Blank rounds have a primer and propellant, but they have no projectile. They're used to make the typical gun firing bang sound and look in movies. So when they're fired, no bullet comes out, but it looks like something flew out of the barrel. Blank rounds can still seriously injure and kill, so they need to be handled safely. The paper wadding that keeps the propellant in place can actually injure people if they're fired at close enough range. So in 1984, actor John Eric Hexham was filming a scene in a TV show where his character was supposed to load a cartridge into a handgun. Filming for the scene ended up being delayed and John Eric tried to make a joke about the delay. He unloaded all but one of the blank rounds in the gun, spun it and said, can you believe this crap? And then he put the gun to his temple and pulled the trigger. The gun obviously went off, sending the wadding in the blank into his head, which fractured his skull. The quarter-sized piece of bone fragment caused major brain hemorrhaging, and unfortunately this was fatal. This is what took the life of Bruce Lee's son, actor Brandon Lee, on set in the 1993 film The Crow. He was filming a scene involving gunfire when the accident happened. In an earlier scene, someone had fired an improperly made dummy round with an active primer. There was no propellant, but the primer igniting caused enough force to dislodge the bullet in the barrel. The gun was then loaded with blanks, however, nobody realized that a bullet was stuck in the barrel. So when the blank was fired, the propellant explosion caused the stuck bullet to fire and it hit Brandon. And he died tragically at the age of 28. There are some general safety procedures that filmmakers have to follow on set. And this includes checking guns and calling them out as cold or hot before they are handed to an actor. A cold gun basically means that the gun has no charge. It's unloaded or filled with dummy bullets. On set, a live or hot gun is a gun that is loaded with something with a charge, but not necessarily live rounds. So if someone loaded the gun with blanks, the prop master or armorer would yell, hot gun, or gun is hot, before handing it to the actor. Generally, the guns are only supposed to be loaded with the number of bullets that the scene calls for. Now back to filming Rust, crew members started to get very concerned about the working conditions on set. It got to the point where their union, IATSE, was considering ratifying a strike. IATSE is the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees. It's the union that represents behind-the-scenes workers in film, TV, live theater, and other related fields. Some of the crew was local and non-union, so hiring them was more cost-effective, but many of them didn't have the skills a union professional would have had. But many of the camera crew members were union. I was um, watching this one interview, and according to special effects expert Thomas Gandy, at least 75% of the crew had never been on a movie set before. That is unbelievable. 
I get it to some extent, but it's like everybody's got to start somewhere. So on a smaller film like this, you would think that I I think on most of these lower budget films, there's probably more green employees working on it. 75%. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's standard or not, but it does seem a little in the film industry does seem a little much, you know, considering how much I feel like at least half the people there should have. Well, it's like if you're going to hire experience. 75% that have never been on a movie set, wouldn't you think you'd hire like the most experienced armor you could get? Like put right. your budget for where, right. you know, you need to put it, mm-hmm. which is safety. And you've got all these gun scenes in this movie. So mm-hmm. it seems like a no brainer that you would hire the best armor and like maybe some, you know, camera operators, some more prop people behind the scenes stuff. Like I can understand those guys being more green. But when it comes to handling the the dangerous parts of filming, like you just think that. You know, they'd allocate more resources to that, but guess not. So at first, the camera crew members were given hotel rooms. This would save them a two-hour drive to and from Albuquerque that would allow them six hours of sleep at night. But a week into production, those camera crew workers were told that they would no longer be given hotel rooms. Others from production were moved to a nearby motel. As per the IATSE contract, production was only required to give them hotel rooms if they worked longer than 13 hours or lived more than 60 miles away from set. The crew members lived 49 to 54 miles from set, but this still didn't count the show's hour lunch. Plus, camera operators usually had to spend 30 minutes to an hour after the workday wrapped up to clean up and put away gear. So this, along with the drive, left them very sleep-deprived. The production staff worked in an office in Santa Fe while the crew was on set every day. Production staff included payroll, travel coordinators, secretaries, budgeting, and stuff like that. The camera crew felt like they weren't taking them seriously, and they were right. In fact, they had no idea that someone in production actually ordered custom t-shirts poking fun at the housing situation. The shirt said, error 404, housing not found, and ABQ is an hour away. So production thought that these improper working conditions were so funny that instead of doing something, they paid money to get t-shirts making fun of their overworked crew, which is absolutely despicable and just bizarre. Um, The crew was also frustrated with their union. They felt like they weren't negotiating a better deal on their behalf. And actually, Helena was so concerned about how her crew was being treated that she tried working the situation out herself. And this just says so much about the type of person Helena was. On the 15th, she treated the camera crew to sushi, and she told them that the issue had been resolved. She had given up a day's rental of the Technocrane, which is used for aerial shots, and put that money towards the lodging budget. But there were still more issues. For one, people were not getting paid on time. And there were also a lot of concerns growing about Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, the production's only head armorer. People were worried that she was not experienced enough and that gun safety was an issue. It's just wild. For somebody who claims to have grown up with guns, she definitely did not seem like she knew what she was doing with guns at all. So she'd be seen carrying multiple guns in her waistband or under her armpits. And just the way she was conducting herself on set had everybody worried production staff seemed more annoyed than concerned in one slack message from october 8th the unit production manager Catherine rail walters wrote apparently props and armor require hand holding but even hannah was acknowledging that there were problems and the production wasn't doing anything about it hannah was practically begging production to get a dedicated cart for the guns and ammo she eventually got the cart but on slack production managers have been saying that this was not their problem and on the 14th, line producer Gabrielle Pickles sent Hannah an email saying, quote, We hired you as both armor and key assistant props. 
it has been brought to my attention that you are focusing more on armor and not supporting props as needed. Hannah responded, quote, since we've started, I've had a lot of days where my job would only be to focus on the guns and everyone's safety. She said that on gun heavy days, her props assistant job, quote, has to take a back seat. Live firearms on set is absolutely my priority. When I'm forced to do both, that's when mistakes get made. Hannah also started to express concerns that Alec wasn't prepared enough for a shooting scene. On the 15th, she told his assistant that she was worried because he hadn't shot with a holster before. Alec actually missed the required firearm safety training that took place before filming, but later he had a safety demonstration with Hannah on the 12th. She showed him the basic safety protocols and showed him how to mimic the kick of a live gun when shooting blanks because there's no recoil. But Hannah claimed that this session only lasted 30 minutes and Alec wasn't giving it his full attention. He was distracted on the phone with his family for parts of it. Here's Alec Baldwin talking about working with Hannah. We spent an hour and a half shooting the pistol, her giving me all her safety instructions. Did you think she was up to the job? I assumed because she was there and she was hired, she was, she was up for the job. And nothing she did raised any red flags with you? No. Okay. This, this training course you do, what did she tell you? She said things like, remember, this is, a, this is a blank round, so you have to create the discharge yourself because there's no projectile. So if you shot the gun, you go bang. When you roll the camera, you got to go bang and have the gun, gun snap back. You have to create that. She would give you little tips about firing. And she'd say to you, you know, when we're done, point the gun down. When we're done, you give the gun to me or to Halls, only those two people. Sometimes we would be on a set that was a very, very cramped set. And they wanted people in that room on an as-needed basis. If I'm holding the gun and they say cut, I then hand the gun to Halls if she's not there. Yeah, why Halls, not Hannah? Some people have said that only the armorer should be handling No, 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 no. That, that's that's in, inaccurate, meaning in, 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 in the protocols of the business, meaning Hannah would to hand me the gun 99% of the time, no, whatever, the, the preponderance of the time. But when we would say cut, if Hannah was away from the set, I would hand holes the gun. So gun safety protocols that were standard in the industry were not being followed strictly on set. And Lane Looper, one of the camera's operators, had complained to the unit production manager about gun safety issues. On the 16th, he texted her saying, we've now had three accidental discharges. This is super unsafe. After having three accidental discharges, that's when you'd be like, okay, maybe we need to get yeah. a more experienced armor in here ASAP because clearly the one we hired is either doesn't know what she's doing or she's just being reckless and careless, which kind of seems like the situation here. But On that day, October 16th, there was an incident where Alex's stunt double accidentally fired two rounds from a gun after someone told him it was cold, which means it had no ammunition. A crew member claimed that there were no safety meetings or investigations after this incident. That's a huge issue. Yeah. It's supposed to be a cold gun, yet there's two rounds that mm -hmm. get fired. She should have been fired should, for yeah, that yeah. immediately. Sarah Zachary, the prop master, accidentally shot herself in the foot with a blank that same day. She had been loading the gun while it was pointed at the ground. And according to a crew member who witnessed this incident... The gun went off right in her hands, but she wasn't injured. Seth, the weapons expert, advised Hannah not to tell production about the incident. He told her that accidental discharges were mistakes and happened to everyone. Move on. Hannah responded, excuse you, what mistakes do you think I'm making? Will I tell production about what? 
You think I'm some fucking rat or something? You think I'm running to production to tattle? You have me fucked up, Seth. Serious professionalism here. Yeah. Good God. Wow. So Sarah at least went and self-reported the incident. The whole thing had been really upsetting to many people on set. At one point after Hannah was hired, someone from production reached out to one of the more experienced candidates who'd previously applied for the job, and they practically begged the candidate to replace their current armorer. But he turned them down because he had already accepted another job. So tensions on the set continued to rise, and there were rumblings that Ayatsi was going to ratify a strike. On the 18th, Alec posted an Instagram video in support of the potential strike. Later, he said that he did not know about any complaints until he heard that some of the camera crew wanted better hotels. In this video, Alex said, quote, and I want to say to the people in IATSE, you want to go on strike? Go on strike, because I'll tell you something about the executives. They don't give a fuck about you. Helena, who is also an IATSE member, posted a group photo of the Rust crew in the cast on the 19th. She said they were all standing in solidarity with the IATSE crew. Many crew members believe that the entire armory department should have been fired and replaced after those misfire incidents, but they still kept their jobs even after the crew complained to the assistant director. These crew members said that on a union set after the first incident like that, those people would have been fired immediately. But these inexperienced non-union people were hired and kept on for budget reasons. And sadly, these and other reckless decisions would end in a fatal tragedy. So that brings us to Thursday, October 21st, 2021. And that was set to be the 12th day of production. And it would already be starting off on the wrong foot because of the events that had happened the night before. Camera operator Lane Looper had emailed his resignation letter that detailed all of the concerns that he had. So around 6 a.m., he and six other crew workers walked off set in protest to the working conditions. They were packing up all their equipment when the line producer, Gabrielle Pickle, showed up. And she told them to, quote, work faster and informed them that they were all Fired. And at one point, she threatened to call security, and they were replaced with non-union scabs for the day. Gabrielle herself had a reputation for being very anti-union and intimidating crew members who tried to unionize. Now, Helena and the crew had really bonded by this point. She told them that she felt like she was losing her best friends, and through tears, she hugged each of the members goodbye. There was a safety meeting that day around 8 a.m. to talk about the fact that there would be gunfire on the set that day. Before lunch, a scene was filmed where some guns were used. The guns were collected after the scenes and placed in the gun safe. And then everyone broke for lunch at 12.30. So before lunch, Hannah loaded the revolver Alec was set to use with five dummy rounds. The sixth round wouldn't fit in the gun. So after lunch, she cleaned the gun out and then she was able to load it. She said that, quote, she didn't really check it too much before loading the last bullet because the gun had been locked up during lunch. After lunch, Sarah went to grab the guns. They were kept in a locked safe in a truck and the ammunition was also in the truck. But during the lunch break, it had been left unsecured on the cart. The ammunition apparently came from a new box that had arrived on set that morning. We don't know how the box got on set or where it came from but apparently it was Sarah who got it from somewhere. They were going to be filming a gunfight scene in the church building that afternoon. So the gun he was going to be using was a long Colt 45 single action revolver. So let's talk a little bit about this gun for a sec. To shoot a single action revolver, you first have to manually pull the gun's hammer back to cock it and then pull the trigger to shoot. The hammer is the metal piece that hits the firing pin, which ignites the primer, causing the explosion that shoots the bullet. Many old revolvers have hammers with a firing pin attached to it. In other words, it's a fixed firing pin. 
This could potentially cause issues if the gun was jolted while it was uncocked and the firing pin accidentally hit the primer. And this is the type of revolver Alec was using. So the gun had quarter and a half cocked safeties meant to prevent the hammer from accidentally slipping while it was being cocked. If the trigger is pulled from the quarter cocked position, the firing pin wouldn't have enough force to ignite the primer. And from the half cocked position, the hammer would fall, but the firing pin would hit the outer head stamp area and would not detonate the primer. Before Alec got back from his lunch break, the crew prepped for the scene. Hannah went into the church with the guns and then found Dave, the assistant director, and she performed a safety check of the Colt 45 for him. The typical safety check involved Dave checking the gun barrel for obstructions. Then Hannah would open the hatch of the gun with the rounds inside and spin the drum. This time, Dave said that he had thought he'd seen three bullets inside of the gun, but he couldn't remember whether or not Hannah spun the drum. He also didn't check any of the bullets, which he should have done. So the gun wasn't checked properly. And if it had been, Dave would have seen that there was also a live round inside. As the assistant director, Dave wasn't supposed to be physically handling the gun. However, they had to watch the armorer check the gun. The AD, assistant director, can check the bullets for the primer indentation but it's better if they watch the armor take each bullet, shake it, and load it into the gun. And when they're shaking it, they're listening for the rattle sound. So there's, there's multiple ways to check these rounds. So the indentation, so if you're looking at the casing on the very back of it, there's an indentation on, on the back of the casing there because the actual bullet itself is inside the gun. You're, you're feeding the bolts into the drum mm. um, with the bullet going towards the, the end of the barrel. So you can only see the end of the casing if you're just opening the drum up and spinning it and looking at it from the outside. But you don't, you can't check to the, the, do the actual listen test for those bullets unless you pull them out of the gun. So they didn't even do that. They just quickly looked at it and didn't actually look at anything. They just kind of went through the motions, but clearly they didn't do any checking. So in these rattle tests, they're listening for a, a rattle inside of the dummy bullets. Right, right. There's like a little bead or something in there that makes and a if clear sound. Right, and if there's no dummy, rattle, then there, it's, it's a likely a, a live round. So, so they didn't do any of that. And the armorer should absolutely be pulling the bullets out, not only checking the indentations on the, the casings, but also doing the, the rattle check on them. So any good armorer would have made sure that the AD didn't brush the safety check off. And if they try to be lax with it, the armorer should insist that the AD properly check the gun. Dave didn't have Hannah take out the bullets to check them himself. Instead, he took the gun after the safety check and Hannah left the church. Hannah, as the head armorer, was always supposed to be present when actors were handling guns. But she didn't know that they were about to rehearse. And she had no idea that the hammer of the gun was going to be pulled back, which is mind-blowing to me that why wouldn't they know that? Because obviously, if she had known that they're going to be actually messing with, right. you know, the hammer where it could, you know, hit that firing pin and ignite the primer, you've got a, you got a gun that's going to go off and she should be there to supervise, but she wasn't there. As part of the scene, Alec was supposed to quick draw the gun from his side, point it towards the camera and shoot at two off-screen characters. But during the part of the scene they were rehearsing, Alec wasn't supposed to pull the trigger, only cock the hammer. So we actually have a clip from one of the scenes here. So here's a part of the script for the scene. So Rust is still, which is Alec Baldwin, hand moving almost unnoticeably, slips a Colt from its holster. She's about to pull out here. This is a classic, I think this is called a cross draw, where he's kind of pulling it from inside of his coat here. Boom. 
There it is. It looked like his finger was on the trigger right there, though, in that scene. But I don't think he was. I think it was kind of like yeah, maybe in front it of it. Let's see. It's hard to tell he moves so fast. It does look like it. So... Oh. Because, I mean, obviously, when you're shooting shooting the scene, though, you're going to have, like, is his finger, act from this angle, though, his finger, there's enough room that he could be, like, yeah. pressing it towards the front of it. So he's not actually, like, has his finger on there, but it's right in front of the trigger. Because it does look like he's about to pull the trigger right there. So this is when off-screen gunfire causes two men to turn around, giving Russ the distraction he needs to strike. Then Colt's exploding, shredding the pew in front of him. The script continues, and Russ hits the floor, rolling under the pews out the other side and he keeps moving backwards and there's just a bunch of gunfire the filmmaker still had to do blocking for the scene which this basically means when the actors rehearse their choreography in front of the cameras everything is properly placed alex still wasn't back from lunch at this point so dave ran through his blocking for him he pulled the gun three times and did not pull the trigger eventually alec walked into the church to do the scene and dave hands alec the gun and before he handed the gun to Alec, he shouted, cold gun. And at no point was Hannah called into the church. The camera was not rolling at this point. Helena was standing to the left of the camera with director Joel Souza behind her. They were both huddled over a camera that was being controlled by a camera operator. The first time Alec drew the gun from the holster, nothing went wrong. But the second time was a different story. Alec placed his hand on the gun and he said, so I guess I'm going to take this out, pull it and go bang. He drew the gun from his side out of its holster. Then he pulled back the hammer while his finger rested on the trigger. Now we don't know exactly what happened, but the gun went off. And here's Alec's version of events from his ABC interview. And you were rehearsing that scene. Was it an actual rehearsal? There's some disagreement about that, whether it was a formal rehearsal at that time. This is a marking rehearsal where you, I'm going to show her she's standing next to the camera. She's like this. You're me. She's got a monitor here. The camera is here filming that way. She takes a monitor that his that is his monitor, the operator, and turns it toward her. It swivels. And she says to me, hold the gun lower. Go to your right. Okay, right there. All right, do that. Now show it a little bit lower. And she's getting me to position the gun. Everything is in her direction. She's guiding me through how she wants me to hold the gun for this angle and I, I draw the gun out and I find a mark I draw the gun out I find a cut and what's really urgent is the gun wasn't meant to be fired in that angle so if you're shooting directly into the camera lens you're not aiming I'm not shooting into the camera lens I'm shooting just off just off right in her direction I'm holding the gun where she told me to hold it which ended up being aimed right in below her armpit was what I was told I don't know this was a completely incidental shot an angle that may not have ended up in the film at all. But we kept doing this. So then I said to her, now in this scene, I'm going to cock the gun. And I said, do you want to see that? And she said, yes. So I take the gun and I start to cock the gun. I'm not going to pull the trigger. I, I said, do you see that? She goes, well, just cheat it down and tilt it down a little bit like that. And I cock the gun. I go, can you see that? Can you see that? Can you see that? And she says, and then I let go of the hammer of the gun and the gun goes off. I let go of the hammer of the gun and the gun goes off. At the moment. That was the moment the gun went off. Yeah, that was the moment the gun went off. So, so this, what it sounds like, had there not been a live round here, this would have been yet another misfire. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm like questioning what, what's wrong with these prop guns that they're just misfiring like this? Like, yeah. So clearly, this is a horrific moment. A shot rang out through the church, and Helena stumbled backwards and fell into the arms of Serge Svetnoy. 
bed of lighting. Serge quickly helped her to the ground, and when she looked down, she saw blood gushing from her chest. Joel also fell backwards and yelled, Jesus Christ, what the fuck was that? That burns. And he was clutching his shoulder, which also started pouring blood. And over and over again, Alex starts saying, what the fuck was that? And he places the gun down on one of the wooden church pews and just stared at the two crew members in horror. And here is a recreation of the shooting released by the Hutchins family. There's no sound for this, but it's just there's, an animation. There's a little bit, but yeah. Yeah. The camera turns around and showing the crew standing behind the cameras. They're not far from Alec. I would say maybe six feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was a really close shot. <laughs> Crew members then started yelling, she shot, and someone shouted for a medic. Crew members began to crowd around Helena. A sound guy said, oh, that was no good. Helena responded, no, that was no good. That was no good at all. In less than a minute or so, everyone was told to get out of the church while medics got to work. Helena couldn't feel her legs, and she started to grow very pale. The bullet had gone through her right chest cavity and lung, hit her spinal cord, and then hit Joel in his top right shoulder. Alec was in shock and sang, Who the hell gave me a live gun? She ran over to the door and saw Joel on the floor. At first she thought a special effects popper had gone off. Sarah ran into Hannah outside the church and she was panicking. And she said that there was no way something was in the gun. She also said something about how this was going to ruin her career. That says so much about her that that's her immediate thought. Oh my god. What the fuck, dude? Dave gave Hannah the gun and Hannah dumped the rounds out of the gun and gave them to Sarah. She told Sarah to go and check the ammo box. When Sarah came back, she told Hannah that there were some bad ones in there. Hannah thought Sarah meant there were one or two other live rounds in the box, but Sarah told her that more than half of the rounds in the box labeled dummy rounds were actually live rounds. Hannah apparently thought that she'd loaded the gun with all dummy rounds. The script supervisor, Mamie Mitchell, ran outside and called 911. The time was 1.46 p.m. 13 minutes later, the fire department arrived on scene. Here's a snippet from the 911 call. Sanity Fire and EMS on the location of emergency. Uh, Bonanza Creek Ranch has had two people accidentally shot on a movie set by a prop gun. We need help immediately. Okay. Bonanza Creek Ranch, come on. Hey, stay on the phone with me. We're going to get some help, okay? Okay. What is your name? Mamie Mitchell. It sounds like somebody else is calling for two ambulances. You better make good. Everybody should be. We need some help. Our director and our cameraman, camera woman has been shot. So was it loaded with a real bullet or one? I I cannot tell you that. Okay. We have two injuries from a movie gun shot. Okay. We're getting them out there already. Just stay on the phone with me. Okay. Okay. I just that yelled at me at lunch because asking about revisions. You seen him yell at my dad and yell at me? He's supposed to check the guns. He's responsible for what happened. Are you now, Mimi? No, no, no. I'm a script supervisor. Oh, how many sitting, people were injured? Two I, that I know of. I was sitting, we were rehearsing, and it went off, and I ran out. We all ran out. They were butt doubled over the AD and the, the, the camera woman and the, direct, and the director. They're clearing the road. Can you come back? We're back on the We're back in the town. If you call them, we're back in the western town. Santa Fe Sheriff's personnel were dispatched to the scene at 1.52 p.m., and when police arrived, they found both Joel and Helena on the floor of the church. A crowd of people were surrounding them. 
Joel was conscious, talking and moving, but Helena was breathing irregularly. Her eyes were glassy and she had a fixed stare. There is also footage of the medics working on Helena from the body cam, which we recently watched in the 60 Minutes Australia that just came out. However, their family has been very critical of the sheriff's department for releasing this footage and said that it was re-traumatizing, as I can imagine. So we will not be adding it. She was still moving and could speak, but it was getting harder for her to breathe. Medics tried desperately to save her life, and it's clear that Helena fought her hardest as well. I can't imagine how confused she was in that moment. So an officer found Hannah near the church, and she was very emotional and holding the gun that was used in the shooting. She handed the gun over to the officer, and they escorted her to a squad car. He told her that she was not under arrest, but she was getting very emotional and started hyperventilating, so he would have medics see her. Dave, do you have those rounds I gave you? What? The, no. the... They're on the car. Are they? I don't know. I How would you give them to? I gave them back to you. I gave... I'll get I'll get them. Are they okay? Eight Santa Fe, uh, we need more units out here. Huh? I haven't been inside, I don't know. God, oh my God. Are these around here? Okay, um. We have rounds here. There's shit. Okay, no, so this is the one I'm pretty sure. I'm, this is it. That's the one. And I, okay. Sorry. You're I'm okay. Sorry. Just relax. Just relax. I'm so scared. I'm sorry. You're all right. Just relax. <laughs> so here's the box that I got them out of. Okay, just leave them right there. Just leave them right there, okay? Just relax. I just need you to. I just need you to relax. Just relax, okay? I just need you to relax. Just please relax, okay? Just take deep breaths and relax. Can somebody get water for her? I don't understand why the hell they would just have this cart hanging out loosely. It's like craft cart yeah. what is this they've just got this loose cart hanging out with with rounds where anybody could walk by and drop drop live rounds in there and mix yeah. it up and in like a, just a little box yeah it's just, it so sounds weird. like it's just all scattered disorganized i mean this mm-hmm. this seems like a total safety hazard major shit show so obviously the crew was pretty stunned by what had just happened and many people had no idea what was going on at this point just that there was some sort of misfire and the severity of the situation was not immediately clear Alec Baldwin himself said that he didn't even realize it was a live round and not a blank until 45 minutes after the accident. And here's him talking to the police. Joel's doing okay. He is. What's her story? A little bit rougher. on It was the shoulder, though. On Joel? On Helena? Where did it? So her, hers appeared to look, it went through her, uh, her right uh, underarm. Yeah. And it, yeah, the exit point was on her back. Uh, left shoulder blade. So, oh my God. so it went across her body. It went, okay, it went through. Okay. So. Yeah, okay. Life-threatening? Oh my God. 
Yeah, enough to get get air flight. So you were in the room when the lady when someone I was, was the shot. One holding the gun. Yeah. Okay. Alrighty. Um, what do you need? Well, I, I know your name, so it's okay. it, it's, it's uh um. Let me call you back, okay? Let me get with my lieutenant and see, see where we I'm want right you to where we want you to hang out, okay? I have to, I have, whatever you want to do. Whatever. Yes, sir. Are you doing okay? No, I'm not actually. Okay. Yeah. Um, crazy series of events. So, um, we're requesting that you and Ms. Gutierrez uh, conduct interviews back at the Santa Fe County Sheriff's Office. Um, yeah, if, uh, and if an associate or... what to do. Okay. I think we might... I, I don't know if this is suspected blood or real blood. No, this is fake. Fake, okay. Um, I'm going to talk... Okay. I'm going to talk to our crime scene technician and, and see what she had... Uh, suggests or would like um, and we're going to go talk to Ms. Gutierrez right now because we're going to request the same information. Who's I'm going to ask uh, the uh, the armory specialist or, um, she's a little uh, sh shaken up so um, just leave that stuff on sir. Um, yeah leave them on right now. So I'm going to talk to my crime okay, scene tech. Let me know what you want. Okay. Okay. Alright sounds good sir. So Joel was transported via ambulance to Christus St. Vincent Hospital in critical condition. Medics had to stabilize Helena in the ambulance before they could transport her via helicopter, and her condition actually did start to improve. Meanwhile, the police started to talk to Hannah about what had happened after she calmed down. Here are a couple things she had to say. Okay, what is your full name? Hannah. Hannah What's your place of employment? Here. Here? What's your, what's the name of the... Uh, Rust. What's your job there with them? I'm the armor. Or at least I was. Welcome to the worst day of my life. <laughs> I can't believe Alec Baldwin was holding the gun. That's so fucked. The worst is there like a closer cop car you guys can put me in or something? Um, I mean the closest one that I can put you in is one of the ones that's like the unmarked one. I just kind of wish that any of my coworkers could stop seeing me because I already feel super bad. Okay, yeah. Too bad. I just want to this all about out of here and never show my face in this industry ever again. Well, I wouldn't say that. Oh, I would. I'm like the only female armorer in the game and I just fucked up my whole entire career. Have you uh, studied armory or did you go to classes or how did you yeah. get into it? My dad's the best, one of the best armorers in the entire world and he trained me and I'm a fucking failure. It's just like, oh, let me play victim right now. Yeah. When you should be concerned about the people that mm -hmm. literally just got shot with one of your yeah. guns. Yeah, more concerned about yeah. her career. Yeah, than it seems like the she's lives exactly. that could be lost. Right. Fucking absurd. Because tragically, Helena's condition ended up taking a turn for the worse. She was airlifted to the University of New Mexico Hospital in Albuquerque and pronounced dead soon after. Doctors removed the bullet from Joel's shoulder and he was released from the hospital the next day. On the day of the shooting, Alec and Hannah were both brought in for questioning. And this is where Alec learned the horrible news. Here's a clip from his police interview. We have some very unfortunate news to tell you. Um, she didn't make it. So Joel's still at the hospital, but the other person involved didn't make it.
I didn't want you to hear it outside of here. Is there something we could do for you? I want to go call my wife. Of course, we could even give you privacy. Okay. Can I get you more water or anything? Do you want to see you guys a few minutes in here? I want to go call my wife. So it was announced that the production on Russ would be wrapped for the foreseeable future. In Slack, line producer Gabrielle Pickle wrote, quote, any remaining alcohol donated to Roe and Gabby. The issue of safety immediately came to the forefront of this tragedy. Many former crew members have come out to say that the working conditions on set were unprofessional and unsafe. And based on the clips from the armor, it sure looks like she definitely lacked professionalism, but honestly seemed like she had no idea what she was doing. Mm -hmm. However, it's worth mentioning that some cast and crew members have publicly disagreed with this. They say that the set was safe. Rust actor Devin Workheiser said that he always felt safe working with guns on set, and a crew member said that there was no problem with accommodations either. He drove 75 miles one way to and from the set each day, and it wasn't a problem for him. Alex said that he hadn't heard about any safety concerns on set. The only thing he heard was that the camera crew wanted nicer hotels. If it turned out he did hear about some safety concerns as a producer, this would open him up for liability. We'll play a little clip of Alec talking about some of the concerns that were heard on set. First time I heard that there was any problem with anybody uh, in the crew of the film was when Luber said, well, we have some issues here. When he quit, now, the day before that happened, we wrapped, and he came up to me and he said, thank you for the position you've taken on behalf of IATSE and the union on social media. I said, my pleasure. He said, because we have some issues here. I said, such as? And he said, my men need a better hotel room. There was no mention of safety issues. He didn't say anything about the accidental he discharges on set? He didn't say anything about anything. Other. He goes, my men need better hotel rooms. I said, well, we're leaving, we're wrapping. Will you be here tomorrow? He said, yes. Because what I was about to do, which I've done on any number of films and TV projects was to give more of the, my salary back to the production to pay for X. And I was about to say to him, let me know what it would be to B and B you guys in a house that's closer to the, how we can address your problem. I will be happy to contribute to, to that. The next day they were gone. So you had no sense from anyone on the set that people had been stretched to the point where safety was compromised? No, no. I never heard one word about that. None. That's really interesting because it's like, it's always hard when it turns into a, you know, he said, she said versus thing. And, and, or it's like people in turn, you know, may have had these concerns, but were just kind of thinking it in their heads versus vocally saying it to somebody. And then once, you know, when something happens, of course, everybody comes be like, Oh, I was thinking this was unsafe the entire time. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Cause I mean, I mean, I, I believe, Alec there that he didn't necessarily know mm -hmm. what was going on but a lot of people say that he, you know as the producer he's ultimately responsible though for ensuring that everything is safe um, obviously this isn't the case but that's the argument that a lot of people make um, but I do find him to be a bit oddly unsympathetic mm -hmm. and I don't know if that's because he was told to do that to not take fault but you know, he has said, like, 
something along the lines of I don't feel like guilt. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Yeah, I agree. I thought his um interview, the original one on ABC was really off putting. I think he had some direction in the beginning to make it clear that he is not the victim here and he has made it very clear. And it's it's obvious that this has affected him emotionally. I mean, how could it not? You shot someone and killed them. Um, but I did find it very, very strange and off putting that he spent so much time in the interview talking about how this might be the end of my movie making career and I cared so much about Rust and then he starts crying talking about I loves filmmaking and how this is like essentially ruined it for him. And I just thought that was so out of place and insensitive, which I think is like a valid feeling for him to experience. But right. I don't think it's appropriate to be bringing that up in an interview, especially yeah. when it's so fresh. Like yeah. that's something Kendall, you and I were talking off camera. That's something you go and tell Hillary. Right. Hilaria, Hil- whose real name is Hillary. Right. That's a story for another day. Well, to be devil's advocate, I could possibly think that he went into that interview at the request of his lawyers even because if you think about it his lawyers probably know there's a possibility that he could be charged with something so it may be Mm -hmm. good to get out ahead of it and voice some of these things to the public and to the media before the media you know because there's sometimes there's there's issues with just staying silent because then the media kind of tells your story for you, so to speak. And mm-hmm. when you're this big actor, you know, you're a big name in Hollywood. Like, I- I'm just thinking from his defense. I'm not saying that he shouldn't have done the interviews. In fact, I think he should have. Yeah. And it was the right move. I'm just saying part of parts of the interviews were distasteful to me because well, I think he brought that- up a lot of like, oh, kind of poor me. I-, I don't know if I can ever do filmmaking again. And rust was something i was passionate about and then he starts crying and i just thought it was very well i mean strange he was being asked questions too so those those responses were to questions that george stephanopoulos said said to him um (laughs) sorry what is it stephanopoulos i think it's stephanopoulos um you know what i mean so i think i get what you're saying i see what you're saying I do, I do think some of it's just kind of his personality too. He's just kind of comes off as kind of a, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which I think a lot of guys in Hollywood kind of have this sort of like ego to them where they're like, oh, you know, this is this is going to be and end this, of my career. This was a traumatic event for him. It would be weird to not have any emotion. I just thought at sometimes the emotion was over the wrong things publicly. Right, but then again, none of us have ever been in that situation before, so you don't know how you would react or deal with that sort of situation you know we all we all like to think that we'd be like we all you know only focused on what happened but then there's also you know everybody's ego is like oh well what about me too you know you're gonna yeah. you and are gonna think about I, you I was do you voice that publicly or not no that's, that's, i don't think you should right, i think it's the right. wrong place so obviously some people are gonna see that as distasteful and i i get it but i also understand why why he said what he did and mm-hmm. you know you can you have to watch it to see what you think, but yeah. Do I think it necessarily helped his image in the public eye? Not really, but I think he. I think for legal reasons, he, he had to kind of get get out there ahead of of charges yeah, and, and some court. Some of it was to, good. Some to, of his interview was good, in my opinion. But I think but. he also was trying to make it very, very clear that this was not his fault. Clearly, like mm-hmm. he was like that was the main point I took away from it. it was at every question, it was this was not my fault, which remains to be debated 
if he well, has clearly they think there is some fault because he's yeah. in charge mm-hmm. and he's a producer technically so if there is deeper issues that it seems like there's been alarm bells rang several times throughout this whole production that were never addressed and so and he's claiming he had no knowledge of those concerns so it really comes down to can they can they legally find him liable for this but again given all of the safety incidents that happened on the 16th and then obviously the 21st it seems pretty ridiculous to claim that the rust set was safe here's alec talking about how he did not pull the trigger it wasn't in the script for the trigger to be pulled well, the trigger wasn't pulled. I didn't pull the trigger. So no. you never pulled the trigger? No, 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 no. I, I would never point a gun at anyone and pull a trigger at them. Never. Never. That was the training that I had. You don't point a gun at me and, and pull the trigger at On day one of my instruction in this business, people said to me, never take a gun and go click, 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 click. Because even though it's incremental, you damage the firing pin on the gun if you do that. Don't do that. And Hall's attorney told ABC News that he was watching and agrees that Alec did not pull the trigger and that his finger was outside the trigger guard. So you have this Colt 45, you just pulled? The hammer as far back as I could without cocking the actual And you're holding onto the hammer. I'm holding that, I'm just showing, I go, how about that? Does that work? Do you see that? Do you see that? that?" She goes, yeah, that's good. I let go of the hammer, bang, the gun goes off. A detective explained to Alec that if his finger was on the trigger and he was pulling the hammer back with his thumb, his index finger might have put enough pressure on the trigger to pull it. Alex said that he never tries to pull a gun's trigger unless the camera is rolling. On October 30th, Alec made his first public statement since the shooting from outside of his vacation house in Vermont. Here's a clip. What's the current state of what's going on with the case? I'm not allowed to make any comments because it's an ongoing investigation. I've been ordered by the sheriff's department in Santa Fe. I can't answer any questions about the investigation. I can't. Okay. It's an active investigation in terms of a woman died. She was my friend. She was my friend. The day I arrived in Santa Fe to start shooting, I took her to dinner with Joel, the director. We were a very, very, excuse me, we were a very, very, you know, well-oiled That's crew wife, right? shooting a film together. That's and then this horrible event happened. Now, I've been told multiple times don't make any comments about the ongoing investigation and i can't i can't i can't that's right. it and you met with, what are the sorry what are the questions that you have other than that you met with the uh the the, the um i'm afraid i forget her name at the moment but you met with her family uh, in the helena. yes her name I met is with her helena hus- if you're spending this much time waiting for us you should you know, know her, her name. name her name is helena helena hutchins i met with her husband matthew and her son yeah that's right and uh, how did that meeting go uh i wouldn't know how to characterize that They'll be, they're, they're, they're you, mortified. You guys, you guys, you know what? Do, no gonna, details. But do, do me a favor. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer the question. Well, I appreciate that he was probably very upset. The, 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 the guy is overwhelmed with grief. This, this is something that, that, you know, there are incidental accidents uh, uh, on film sets uh, from time to time, but nothing like this. This is a one in a trillion episode. It's a one in a trillion event. And so the, he is in shock. He has a nine-year-old son. You know, we are, you know, in constant contact with him because we're very worried about his family and his, his kid. And uh, as I said, we're, we're, we're eagerly awaiting for the sheriff's department to tell us what their investigation has yielded. So Alec texted Matthew Hutchins in the days after the accident. And Matthew's attorney actually sent Alec a cease and desist letter in response to this flurry of texts. And in one text, Alec wrote, I will tell you that among the more significant and salient points I put out there was the gun was never meant to be fired, in all caps. 
in that camera angle. In another, he wrote, the Santa Fe Sheriff's Office may lack both the skill and the will to properly investigate the sabotage angle. I'm told their agenda is to write it off as an accident and throw it to the civil courts. And yet, the more information that is presented to me about certain anomalies on that day, the more open-minded I become. So investigators had trouble getting Alex's cell phone to review its contents. It took them about a month before Alec handed the phone over. When they got Alec's phone, they found no texts or phone calls from the day of the shooting. There were also no texts or calls from the day after either. The day after that, they found a text from Alex stating, I have to delete my archive. It's unclear what he's referring to, but many people believe that he's talking about the things on his phone. However, his team has stated that he's referring to his Twitter archive, which he'd already been thinking about deleting for a while before the incident. What do you think about this? I don't know. This I don't know. I don't know if there's more to that or not. I have to delete my archive, which sounds like yeah. a Twitter archive or something like that. Yeah. That I don't, sounds... I've never heard of like a bunch of texts on your phone being archived in a certain way. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm assuming he's referring to his Twitter archive. So yeah. I don't know that you can really amount that to anything suspicious per se, but. Which deleting the Twitter archive would definitely be a PR move because there was a tweet dug up from 2017 from him like this picture um something some shooting and it says the officer keeps his gun trained on the man and shuffles back creating distance and alex says i wonder how it must feel to wrongfully kill someone dot 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 right. so of course people like jumped on and were like yeah yeah look at this yeah i mean you got to remember the all these actors have pr teams and you yeah. know a bunch of people that they work with so they're obviously going to try to do damage control on behalf of his career his agent and everything like that for future Right. You know, this could potentially destroy his whole whole career, tarnish his name forever. So they're trying to do damage control to prevent that from happening. Again, Alex said that he did not fire the gun, that it went off by accident. But an FBI report stated that the gun could not have just gone off in the way Alex said it did. The trigger had to have been pulled. They also ruled out the possibility of a malfunction. They wrote, quote, with the hammer in the quarter and a half cock positions, the revolver could not be made to fire without a pull of the trigger. But the report said that even when the gun's hammer was in the rest position, it could have fired without a pull of the trigger when the hammer was struck directly. So this seemingly leaves open some other scenarios. Alex's attorney has said that the FBI's report's conclusions are being misconstrued. He said, quote, the gun fired in testing only one time without having to pull the trigger when the hammer was pulled back and the gun broke in two different places. The FBI was unable to fire the gun in any prior test, even when pulling the trigger, because it was in such poor condition. So Hannah sued Seth Kenny and stated that he provided the box of ammo used in the shooting. She argued that he is liable because he provided her a box of mislabeled ammo. Seth's attorneys have said that he didn't provide any live ammo to the rest production. And it's been alleged that Hannah brought the live ammo accidentally from her work on The Old Way. So she accidentally mixed the live rounds in old boxes of dummy ammo and then brought it on the rust set. And Hannah's attorney has pushed the theory that the incident was the result of sabotage. However, prosecutors have said that so far there is no evidence to point to this theory. Her father has gone on to defend his daughter's armor skills. Here's Thel and Hannah's attorney talking about the potential sabotage theory. Are you concerned that Hannah could go to jail? No. No, the, the sheriff's department will get to the bottom of this. I'm not worried about that at all. Were you at all concerned about Hannah having to take on the role of armor and prop assistant? I didn't like it, and she complained about it too. At one time, should've, they should have had her on set. She'd rechecked that gun, 
If there was a live round placed there, she would have found it. You have confidence that Hannah would have checked that gun one more time had she been in the church? She knows what to do. Because that's what you would have done. Yeah, uh, she does the job as good as I do now. Sabotage is, is the most likely possibility, probability. Do you believe sabotage was possible on the set? Oh, yeah. You know, a, lot of, a lot of motive there. Somebody wanted to cause a safety incident um, on set. Uh, nobody wanted anybody to be killed. We developed evidence of motive for that, why they might have wanted to do that, why Hannah uh, might have been a target. Um, and that's all gone to the sheriff. So we're asking for that to be completed before any decisions are made on charging. I don't know. That sounds like a bunch of bullshit to me. Doesn't sound like yeah. they have a very I mean, concrete. Who really knows? There could be things we don't know here, but yeah. I, I mean, it just seems like they're just trying to protect Hannah. Obviously, that's yeah. his job. Yeah. I think it's weird that her father says he can, she can do this job as well as me. Clearly, she cannot. No. She even basically admitted in the body cam footage that she couldn't. Mm-hmm. So Thel gave investigators his own theory on where the live rounds came from. He said that he and Seth worked together on another project in August or September, and they did live fire training for actors on a firing range. Seth asked Thel to bring some live rounds in case they ran out of ammo. So Thel brought a can that included live ammo. After the training, Seth took the rounds home. Thel tried multiple times to get the rounds back from Seth, but Seth told them to write it off. The can included 45 caliber rounds, so Thel thinks those rounds might match the rounds found on Rust. But there's a lot of rumors that during the lunch break on the 21st, some crew members took the prop guns out for plinking to kill time, which plinking is just basically target shooting for pleasure, usually with random objects like glass bottles or cans. As the rumor goes, these crew members loaded the guns with live ammo for target practice and then didn't take them out of the gun before filming resumed. However, these rumors have not been confirmed. So as of right now, it's still a mystery as to how the live ammo got on the set, which that to me makes absolutely no sense because why would they be going out doing target practice with prop guns? That's fucking weird. Makes no sense. Prop guns are not meant to shoot live rounds. Like that's what I don't understand. Is like that doesn't make any sense at all. That sounds like a rumor from people that don't know what they're talking about because I don't see I don't see that scenario ever happening. Plus the guns were in a safe supposedly during lunch. So why would they get why would it just makes sense? Why would you go take the guns that are going to be used in the scenes with the actors out for target practice with live rounds and then put them back and potentially not tell anybody? Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's that sounds insane to me. And Alec did himself no favors from a PR standpoint after the incident. He has continually said things that do not make him look good or make him look sympathetic in any way. On November 2nd, 2021, Alec posted a series of screenshots of an open letter signed by some of the Rust crew and cast members. We'll have them on the screen if you do want to pause it and read, but there's a lot there. After the shooting, Trump also made multiple statements insinuating that Alec shot Helena on purpose. Alex said that these statements sicked a lot of angry Trump supporters on him and he feared for his life. This comment led many people to say that Alec is trying to make himself the victim here. Yeah, Trump Jr., though, was pretty disgusting. He actually made T-shirts mocking the incident. T-shirts said, guns don't kill people. Alec Baldwin kills people. That's fucking weird. He posted a meme of a picture of Trump like looking like he's holding a, a gun and it says Donald Trump rehearsing for SNL skit where he plays Alec Baldwin. <laughs> yeah, like so it's good. so weird. And why are you trying to make money off of this? You're making merch? 
Yeah, that's of course people disgusting. will buy it. Well, the yeah. people take shots at the expense of anybody these days. And they don't care. But politicians, should they be doing that? I don't think so, personally. But anyway, he also did a televised interview with George Stephanopoulos, like we said, on December 2nd, 2021. And the public had pretty mixed reactions to this interview. As you can hear, we've all had pretty mixed reactions as well. And here's Alec responding to some of the criticism in the interview. People said to me, I mean, I, I got countless people online saying, you, you idiot, you never point a gun at someone. Well, unless you're told it's empty and it's the director of photography who's instructing you on, on the angle for a shot we're going to do. And she and I had this thing in common where we both thought it was empty and it wasn't. And that's not her responsibility. That's not my responsibility. Whose responsibility is remains to be seen. But I well, do, there but are I, some who say you're never supposed to point a gun at anyone on a set, no matter what. Unless the person is the cinematographer who's directing me where to point the gun for her camera angle. Every single time I'm handed a gun on a set, every time, Mark, they hand me a gun. I look at it. I open it. I show it to the person I'm pointing it to. We show it to the crew. Every yeah. single take, you hand it back to the armor when you're done. You do it again. Right. Everyone does it. Everybody knows it. So that was uh, you... George Clooney on a podcast discussing his thoughts. Respond to actors like George Clooney who say that every time they were handed a gun, they checked it themselves. Well, there were a lot of people who felt it necessary to contribute some comment to the situation, which really didn't help the situation at all. You have your, if your protocol is you check the gun every time, well, good for you. Good for you. You know, I mean, I probably handled weapons as much as any other actor in films with, with an average career. Again, shooting or being shot by someone. And in, in, in that time, I had a protocol, and it never let me down. Why did you choose in your 40 years not to check the gun yourself? What I was taught by someone years ago was, as I said, if I, if I took a gun and I popped a clip out of a gun or I manipulated the chamber of a gun, they would take the gun away from me and redo it. The prop person said, don't do that, when I was young. And they'd say, one thing you need to understand is we don't want the actor to be the last line of defense against a catastrophic breach of safety with the gun. My job, they told me, man or woman, my job is to make sure the gun is safe and then I hand you the gun and I declare the gun safe. The crew's not relying on you to say that it's safe. They're relying on me to say that it's safe. When that person who was charged with that job handed me the weapon, I trusted them and, and I never had a problem. So that brings us to what has happened recently. On January 19th, 2023, prosecutors in New Mexico announced that they would be filing felony criminal charges against Alec and Hannah. They were both formally charged with two counts of involuntary manslaughter on January 31st, 2023, and both have spoken out through their attorneys about these charges. One of Alec's attorneys has filed a motion to have the special prosecutor on the Russ case dismissed. The special prosecutor is also a New Mexico state house representative, and the attorney has argued that that is unconstitutional. Which just came out like February 7th, so a day before recording this episode. But a spokesperson for the DA's office responded by saying that Alec and his attorneys can use whatever tactics they want to distract from the fact that Helena Hutchins died because of gross negligence and a reckless disregard for safety on the Rust film set. However, the district attorney and the special prosecutor will remain focused on the evidence and on trying this case so that justice is served. Assistant Director Dave Halls accepted a misdemeanor charge of mishandling a firearm in a plea deal, so he will likely be testifying against 
Anna, and Alec. Alec Baldwin was sued by the Hutchins family for the wrongful death of Helena, and the matter was settled out of court, and the details of the settlement are confidential. Matthew has spoken out against the statements Alec has made after the incident, and here's what he had to say. Uh, But watching him, I just felt so angry. Just so angry to see him talk about her death so publicly in such a detailed way, and then to not accept any responsibility after having just described killing her. He said, essentially, he felt grief but no guilt. Almost sounds like he was the victim. Yep. And hearing him blame Helena in the interview and and shift responsibility to others and and seeing him cry about it, I just feel like, are we really supposed to feel bad about you, Mr. Baldwin? So do you think that the the majority of the blame lays on Alec Baldwin? The idea that the person holding the gun, causing it to discharge, is not responsible is absurd to me. Every individual who touches a firearm has a responsibility for gun safety. But gun safety was not the only problem on that set. There were a number of industry standards that were not practiced, and there's multiple responsible parties. 100% 100% agree with that. Mm-hmm. I do too. That ultimately, Alex should have checked the gun himself. He, yeah. should, he should have always been doing that. So if that was just a mm-hmm. bad habit of his from day one, that's just, and his luck finally ran out. I thought it was so distasteful that he kind of dissed on George Clooney for that statement. Just being like, oh, well, good for you. Right. It's just like, good do for you, you for having good what gun safety. Happened? Just, just I trust reaction to this is so bizarre. What I don't understand is like, you trust those people, but yet you even said at the beginning that she was this inexperienced armorer. So was your did you really have full trust in the in the armorer from the beginning? You knew that she was hired. You knew that she was green. Mm-hmm. So it's like I don't know. It seems like a lot of trying to cover his tracks, honestly, and try to protect himself ultimately. And what's so crazy is that they are going to continue making this movie, which I never thought would be the case, and this was absolutely shocking to me. Um, but, well, apparently Matthew will replace Baldwin as a producer for the film. Yeah. Um, and the film is intended to honor Helena's legacy and provide the Hutchins family with a portion of the film's proceeds, which seems yeah. absolutely appropriate. I do get that. Which there's lots of speculation going on about this and the reasoning for, you know, how this is all going to work and where the royalties and payment from the film are going to go and how the uh, film's been funded. There's just a lot of things we don't fully understand but several other lawsuits have been filed. Mamie, the script supervisor, who was next to Helena when she was shot, as well as Serge, the head of lighting, who held her in her arms, are suing Alec and Dave, among others, for assault, intentional infliction of emotional distress, and negligence. Here's some of their statements about why they're suing. I relive the shooting and the sound of the explosion from the gun over and over again, then an explosion. Deafening, loud gunshot. I was stunned. I heard someone moaning and I turned around and my director was falling backwards and holding his upper body. And I turned around toward Alec and I saw Helena going down to the left of me. Ten minutes after I got home, someone notified me that she was dead. I stood in my driveway screaming. She was my friend. <laughs> That's what. Ms. Hudson asked him to do the movie. She asked him to be the set. This is the ninth picture they've done together. The pay was terrible. It wasn't even doing the movie wasn't the money. It was his friend. He was loyal to her. 
I was so concentrated and I tried to save her life. I'm just holding, I spoke with her all the time, all this so 20, 30 minutes, I don't know. Alec is suing Hannah, Sarah, Seth, and Dave. Dave is countersuing Alec, Hannah, Sarah, and Seth. Hannah is suing Seth and his company, and a key medic on set is suing Dave, Sarah, Hannah, Seth, and Russ Productions, LLC. New Mexico's Occupational Health and Safety Bureau find the production company their maximum fine, which was $137,000. They found that Hannah was stretched too thin by production, and had she been called into the church, she would have been able to prevent the tragedy. Apparently, the movie will still be made, like we said, and it will star Alec Baldwin still, which is bizarre. Production was set to start up again this past January, and instead of New Mexico, the movie will possibly be filmed in California. And it appears that the decision to continue the production was purely a financial one on part of the investors who already sunk millions of dollars into the project and wanted to see some sort of return on their investment. Helena was laid to rest at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery, and the American Film Institute has created a scholarship for women cinematographers in Helena's name to honor her legacy. Putting aside all sensational aspects of this case, it's important to remember that a talented, dedicated woman needlessly lost her life on October 21st, 2021. Helena Hutchins leaves behind her loving husband and her son, who is now 10 years old. It's also important that changes are made so that this situation never happens again because this was entirely preventable. Definitely. I was curious what you guys thought about the use of real guns on set because I know that a lot of times people argue that it makes it more realistic and CGI is expensive and whatnot. But personally, I think it's ridiculous that we're still using mm-hmm. real guns on a set. Why, why do we need to do that? It seems completely unnecessary to me. I mean, I don't know if there's some reason why they want to use CGI really? is expensive and you can get a better shot. But with... Do you even need CGI? Can't you create a prop that looks identical? Well, they, ha- to the they real do. Thing? They, they use, so there's different, there's prop guns. There's right. So there's dead guns that don't do anything. That's the thing that to create those shots though, that are realistic to do that, to do it in real life versus CGI is going to be night and day as far as like, a lot of the way that a lot of these scenes are shot with that are real close up like that like if you were to do a cgi gunshot versus a real one it would be very i think it'd be pretty I'm not obvious saying cgi though i'm saying can't they create they do they have fake guns that don't so shoot anything why too. are we not always using those because people yeah, are like arguing like oh well it makes the actors act better if they're you know it's actually something like coming out of it or whatever but i'm, I'm which like, is they're act- true yeah but at the same time at someone's the expense of someone's life. Yeah, it doesn't seem worth it at all to me. And I can't imagine they can't. I can't well, they've I, been doing this for they? 100 plus years. So and it's safe most of the time. So but I mean, most of the time isn't enough. Like, I feel like they should just be completely banned on all sets. Or, and it or should be like Helena's, Helena's be, law or something. Or there, there needs to be more checks and ba- there needs to be a law or rule that says you ch- everybody checks the weapon. Everybody that has the weapon checks it. And, and announces to everyone around them and shows them well, that it's and not that's, loaded. That's the issue is that there's there's clearly different standards that are being used depending on who you are as an, uh, as an actor or actress. And mm-hmm. there's not like 
strict protocols that are followed amongst all movie sets. That's the thing is like, I don't think, I don't think getting rid of the the guns from the sets is, is necessarily needs to happen, but there needs to be rules that are followed to a T because it is, there is a huge safety concern in that if you do not follow those, you will ultimately be liable for what happens. And, and Mm -hmm. I think if you do that or you're fined or, you know, money is garnished from your wages or, you know, something like that to, you know, there needs to be a consequence. It seems like it's just too lax still. Mm-hmm. Like it's clearly, especially on productions like this where union workers aren't, you know, running it and they're cheaping out on a lot of things. I guess yeah. what I'm trying to say, like they're, they're not following the protocols that the industry set forward because of money or whatever reason it is. And ultimately it comes down to money. I think they cut a lot of corners because of money. Mm-hmm. They were trying to make as much money from this investment as possible. So they cut a lot of corners. They hired inexperienced people to work on the set. There was safety concerns from the beginning. And so the whole production, the whole, every producer on here is liable in some way, shape or form, including the people that funded this operation, because I'm sure there's plenty more about conversations that were had about let's cut corners where we can when it comes to budget. And so they ended up hiring a 24 year old armorer who has literally no experience other than one other film, it sounded like, or two other films. And so they took a huge gamble there. And then if you're mm-hmm. going to do that, there should be some, you know, on that particular set, the actors should all be required to check the weapon before aiming. I, I think Alec Baldwin does have, have, uh, he definitely is liable for this because he should have mm-hmm. checked the weapon. I mean, that's just basic gun safety. And he seemed to think like, well, it's worked for me up to this point. Well, yeah, but it only takes that one time yeah. where somebody doesn't do their job and a disaster happens. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what happened here. So I think it's just there was a major breakdown in in safety protocols and, and oversight from a safety perspective. And therefore, it, it resulted in this tragic accident. And then I, I don't I don't know if it's common for actors to aim weapons at people filming them i don't know but that to me is a little little concerning too to have any sort of prop gun that again they thought it was a cold gun Mm -hmm. so that's that's one thing so of course helena did not know that there was any sort of projectile in there Mm -hmm. but i I don't know if that's like a standard that they do but i think most of the times they don't point any sort of gun at any human you know what i mean Mm -hmm. just what a fucking shame that this extremely kind talented mother with a huge career still ahead of her lost her life because people were cheap well at the end of the day yeah that's how it how it goes across so many tragedies in our world unfortunately well a lot of people argue that it's not even the gun that's the main issue it's just the fact that people are cheap like we were talking about way more people die on sets of vehicle accidents so it's the real issue here is cutting costs or yeah, mm-hmm. cutting costs and, you know, leading to poor workplace conditions, bad safety conditions yeah, yeah. across the board, not even just with the guns, but just things in general. Like, why are we cutting costs right. when it comes to safety measures? Right. I've done a whole whole podcast on Lights Out of workplace accidents and the most crazy, freak, heinous things have happened to to workers on at companies that they worked for that either were preventable mm-hmm. and the company wasn't paying enough attention or training negligent. towards safety and were negligent in, in the accidents that took place and people lost their lives. And that's what it comes down to. I think it's absolutely 
workplace standards weren't met and therefore this tragic accident happened and yeah it sounds like the guns that were being used were you know whoever they were provided from they didn't weren't well taken care of they obviously were malfunctioning i mean it seems like as soon as there were misfires several misfires they should have went back to the drawing board on on the guns that were being used in in the filming because yeah clearly they were not working properly whoever was cleaning them or you know the armorer which was hannah in this case really didn't know what she was doing and wasn't and was frazzled or stressed or just the pressure from the job was clouding her mind and judgment and she just was not paying attention and they had it all loose on this cart. I mean, it's a series of unfortunate events that led to this tragedy and ultimately a, a very talented human being lost her life as a result of, of the negligence that's just all over the place. I mean, it's, it's kind of shocking to me that they're going to continue this film at this point, but I, yeah. I understand why they're doing it. And if Matthew wants it to go forward, then I think yeah. it should absolutely go forward. And obviously mm -hmm. his wife died working on this project. So you'd want to see, you know, she'd probably want to see it get to the finish line, you know, cause ultimately it's maybe, but she was having such a bad experience with it too. And you know, all the turmoil leading up to it. I mean, she, you can't ask her. I don't know. I guess you have to support it if that's what, Matthew wants, but and that's the thing too is like we're none of us are, you know, have any experience working in Hollywood or in no. the movie making industry, so we have no idea like what the actual experience is like on set. And I'm sure, I'm sure there's plenty of sets where things go wrong and there's accidents that occur that never make the news. And this this was this is kind of like one of those one in a, a million chances that something like this happens, and yeah. and ultimately it it may have just came down to couple people making some critical mistakes yeah and i think involuntary manslaughter is appropriate because i mean yeah. I, I do think they should be held responsible in some way yeah I'm, I'm glad that these charges have been filed and i didn't expect them to so but sabotage what do you think about sabotage you think there's initially with very little information i thought that that was possible and I guess it still is. I guess we don't really know. Um, it seems like Alec kind of alluded to that too in his interview, the original one on ABC. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know. So according to the law in New Mexico, manslaughter is the unlawful killing of a human being without malice, which in contrast, murder is the killing of another human being through willful, deliberate, and premeditated act. So involuntary you know, voluntary consists of intentionally killing for which there was mitigating circumstances, which reduces the crime from murder. Involuntary manslaughter, on the other hand, consists of killing that was unintentional, resulting from either recklessness or criminal negligence. Hmm. I think I see why they charged charged Hannah and Alec with that. Alec held the gun. Hannah was in charge of the guns. Do you think, well, first of all, do you think Alec will serve jail time? Well, that's the thing is like based on on this voluntary manslaughter is a fourth degree felony punishable by up to 18 months in prison and up to five thousand dollars in fines i i think if anybody's going to get jail time it's going to be hannah ultimately mm -hmm. because ultimately she it was her her job it's her yeah. she was paid to keep people safe and she didn't mm -hmm. and i i honestly don't think alec baldwin will see jail time i think he may have to pay fines and i know, doubt it as like well that. but i think in my opinion, I think he should at least a little. I mean, there definitely should be 
you know, now there's all these civil laws. I think there, there's going to be a ton of civil penalties for yeah. sure. But criminally, I, I just don't know. I don't know how, you know, they also have to go to court of law mm-hmm. and go to trial and prove that yeah. he, this was involuntary manslaughter. So they'd have to be able to prove that there was, he was acting in a reckless manner and there was criminal negligence to, you know, prove that to a jury beyond reasonable doubt. I don't think they've set a date for the trial yet. Okay. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see this play out. It's sure. I'm sure it's going to be a long, you know, be some time before it goes to trial. But yeah, I'm not finding anything just from a quick search. I wonder if it'll be a big public trial or if cameras will be allowed in or anything like that. The way that we've seen other celebrity trials play out, but I don't know. But like we like we mentioned earlier, in there there has been gun related deaths in in Hollywood over the years. It happens mm-hmm. from time to time, and obviously this is a one in a million situation in the way in which it, it went down and yeah. it was completely preventable as opposed to, you know, other, other things were more of mm-hmm. accidents, you know, just people not realizing a gun's loaded. I just and, meant like celebrity trials in general, like Johnny Depp, Amber Heard recently, like, will it be a big thing I that people know. follow? Will there be I feel like this cameras allowed in? Yeah. You never know. Didn't think that was going to be either, but it was anyway. That is going to be it for us today, guys. We want to know your thoughts on everything that we discussed, um, whether or not you think Alex is responsible, Hannah is responsible, who's responsible the most to you. Um, I think it's whoever should... brought the live ammo on set because I'm live them. ammo should have never been on set. I'm just saying. Agreed. My last, my last point. But will they ever be able to figure that out? We well, that's, that's the thing. Is Still they part of an investigation. But if Hannah brought the live ammo on set, Mm-hmm. And she just, her negligence of not keeping it separate from dummy rounds, yeah. putting it in the same container box as dummy rounds. If she ended up doing, if they're able to prove that she did that, she's, yeah, I think she's going to be, she's going to be in trouble, obviously, but she's going to be facing jail time for that probably. Cause that's, this would have never happened had she not brought those live rounds on set. Mm-hmm. They shouldn't have been there in the first place. There should have been no live rounds there. So why was there live rounds there? Yeah. Again, we want to know your thoughts, guys. So let us know. Also, um, be sure to uh, follow us on Spotify. It really does help our show significantly, even if you don't use the platform to consume the podcast. Um, It makes a big difference for us. So we would really appreciate that. We'll we'll be back next week with another episode of the Mile Higher Podcast. Until then, keep taking your mind. Mile Mile Higher. Higher.